And welcome to another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. Today, we have one of my good friends on the show. We're going to actually skip uh, the universal introduction that we have and ask those questions because he's been on the show before. He's what we call a friend of the show. But I do want to provide listeners with some context for the work you do. So, Ladrigas Murray, talk about the work you do at the United Negro College Fund. And then, I mean, your elevator speech, what is the UNCF? We always hear about it, but what is it? Yeah, UNCF, United Negro College Fund, is the organization that helps to work on behalf of and protect private historically black colleges and universities or HBCUs. Um, The organization does something that most membership organizations doesn't do. It actually gives money to the members and instead of taking money from the members. In addition to that, the UNCF is the second largest private provider of scholarships in the country, period. It's the largest private provider of scholarships to minorities in the country, period. And so that means that this organization is providing $100 million in scholarships, not loans, scholarships to 10,000 students at 1,100 different colleges and universities. So that's students at every HBCU you know, and then a whole bunch of other institutions, black and brown students that look like you and me that are first generation college students and underserved students. So when people ask this question, is the UNCF, because we ask this question at the NAACP all the time, is it still necessary? If you would have asked me in the year 2000, I would have said, heck yeah, because I got a UNCF scholarship when I was a freshman at Morehouse the year before you came, and that scholarship made everything possible. It made it possible that I could be debt-free from college before the age of 30. Now, pause. Think about how many Morehouse men you know that before 30, and and they didn't come from money before 30 were debt-free from college. UNCF helped to make that possible. I, I, I wasn't. I was debt-free at 36, maybe. I'm 37 now. So within the last 365. Yeah, I and, and that's like the first time I remember beating you in something. <laughs> yes, that actually you beat, used to beat me in Tiger Woods golf all the time. What are you talking about? Uh, before we get into the new report, I want you to grade this administration on this approach towards HBCUs. I actually asked you this in the last episode. Mm-hmm. We may flip and juxtapose those two things, uh, but particularly funding and resources for our HBCUs. And how does the Biden administration stack up against the Trump administration? Yep. And we have to also ask about the Obama administration because my father was an HBCU president at that time. Yeah. And let's just say they thought the Obama administration left a lot to be desired. So if I have to grade, I'm gonna break your question down even more. I'm okay. gonna grade the administration and then I'm gonna grade Congress um, because Um, A lot of people don't know that the power of the purse belongs with Congress. So presidents propose things, then Congress does like 90% of the work in the middle of the process, then the president signs it. Um, Now, in terms of the Biden administration, they're probably the best administration in the history of this country in only a year and a half on HBCU issues. That's because this president, this vice president, have put HBCUs in every major proposal that they've sent to Congress. Every budget that they've produced, HBCU increases. No other administration was proposing increases to this tune ever before for HBCUs to the programs that we think are important. Number two, you look at um, what was in the American Rescue Plan. Um, The kinds of money for HBCUs um, was astronomical and it helped to stabilize us through a period of tremendous uncertainty. You look at what would have been built back better, the, uh, the Inflation Reduction Act now, but what would have been built back better? 
and what would have been the original infrastructure plan to the tune of, of nearly, um, um, well, to the tune of almost $100 billion would have been in there for HBCUs and other types of institutions. And, and then they would have sectioned it off so that like institutions compete against like institutions. That means HBCUs compete against HBCUs, not a well, PWI. Let's, 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 pick, let's piggyback on that for one second yeah. because there's some funding out there where they expect HBCUs to be competing against the, say, University of Oklahoma's because of right. their minority component. Talk about the difference in those things. That's right. And so this report that we're talking about today is really delving into that. So there are a lot of PWIs masquerading as MSIs. And so they're, we're going to get into the minutia now, Picard. So HBCUs have this designation um, by Congress because of what has happened um, over history. Um, and so they have a mission. And in the mission of the institutions, they serve uh, the progeny of slaves. Um, tribal colleges, universities have a similar mission. So they have their own categories. Then everybody else is an MSI. So HBCUs, tribal colleges, and universities, not MSIs. MSIs are Hispanic serving institutions, Anapeses, Asian Pacific Islander, et cetera. Those are institutions that meet this minimum percentage threshold. And because they meet that minimum percentage threshold, then they get classified as an MSI. And so then policy and decision makers that don't have a great degree of savoir faire about black and brown issues try to classify all of us the same. And we're not the same. Um, HBCUs tend to have lacked resources their entire existence. Some of these PWIs like a Rice University, the University of Texas at, the University of California at, et cetera, these institutions don't lack resources, don't lack huge philanthropic gifts, don't lack foreign endowment, um, and so they don't walk, talk, or quack like us, and so we should not have to compete against them. The Biden administration actually gets that right in their proposals. Others don't. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise. But if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA, I make calls, I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it, you can work out in it, you can go outside, you can go shopping down in your local wherever, and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. So let's talk about this new report, which is why I brought you on the show. I actually brought you on the show for two reasons, because just momentarily prior to us taping this, the president signed the CHIPS Act. We'll get to that last. But before we get to CHIPS, let's talk about this new report. Greater funding, greater needs, a report on funding for HBCUs. Give me the Cliff Notes version on this report. So what's it about? 
And and why did the UNCF commission this report? Did you did you commission the report or did you write the report? I guess my question. Kind of both. Um, we commissioned it. Then you get what you get, and then you have to go in and really write it. Um, but. Um, the importance of this report is the fact that there have begun these whispers that after the tremendous funding for COVID-related activities over the last couple of years, the HBCUs have gotten all of this money uh, to the tune of $6.5 billion from Congress, from the administrations, both of them, plural. Um, then do HBCUs still need all these philanthropic resources? The answer to that is that that question is laughable. If you've been underfunded for 150 years, then you can't over two years get really good funding for a very targeted use and then say that, hey, they don't need any help anymore. We've needed the help for the last 150 years. We're finally getting some. This is just the beginning of what it takes to provide the equity, the equality, and give the quality education to the institutions get the funding for a quality education for students at the institutions that they choose. Is this what you, because you allude to this often, but is this what you allude to when you say structural fiscal challenges? And what does that, I mean, what, I mean, what does that mean though? I mean, you say, <laughs> but I mean, like, all right, people are like, so how much money, you know, when we have this discussion about public school education in South Carolina, for yeah. example, they always say, well, money won't fix it. Why are you pouring money into this? And I'm talking about, you know, the structural fiscal challenges. But what exactly does that mean? You allude to that often. Yeah, so that's exactly what I mean. And I mean this. So HBCUs are a lot like black <laughs> So the words mean what the words on the The page. words mean what the words mean. <laughs> HBCUs are a lot like black people. So black people have a harder time getting access to capital. And when we get access to capital, it's at worse rates because a lot of banks view us as risky investment. HBCUs, being a conglomeration of Black people, banks treat them the same way. Lending operations treat them the same way. Harder time getting it. When they get it, it's at worse rates. And if you're paying a worse interest rate for the exact same thing, it's almost like you're getting punished for operating the same way that others operate. Um, and so when you do that, over 150 years, when you've had a lack of federal support for 150 years, when your state governments haven't supported you nearly as well as they support similar institutions for 150 years, um, when you keep your costs down on purpose so that underserved students have an access point that they wouldn't have elsewhere for 150 years, um, those are structural fiscal concerns that don't get solved in a year or two. So to my next question, which is a piggyback on that, I mean, because we, it, it's kind of like when, when I guess when PWIs, what is it, when PWIs get the coal, HBCUs get pneumonia, um, or for lack of a better analogy here, but to piggyback on that, um, we've, you know, we've seen the last two years where the CARES Act, the stimulus package and the American Rescue Plan, um, they all provided billions of dollars to HBCUs. People are going to ask the question, where did that money go? Yeah, it's a good question. It goes exactly where it says it went. So the laws are really prescriptive. Um, you've got a portion of the law that says, all right, you have to use this to outfit classrooms. Um, you have to use this to make it so that the dorms are livable. Um, you lived in Graves Hall uh, your freshman year. Barely that livable. was a tight space. 
barely livable. <laughs> and, and, and you're tall, so it was even worse. And, and so you have to outfit these rooms, uh, classrooms and dorms, other places on the campus so that they were safe spaces during the time of COVID. So that took a lot of money. In addition to that, HBCUs did something um, that no other types of institutions chose to do. They chose to use that money to shore up and pay the balances of students that needed it. Um, and so why is that important? Uh, black students were disproportionately affected by coronavirus. Heck, black people were. Um, we got it um, at, at a higher clip because of the type of jobs we tend to have. Um, we, we have these pre-existing health conditions. And so you look at the types of black families that still were sending their students to college. Then you look at the fact that many black families chose to pull their students away from college. Those students want to work and provide finances for the family. And so HBCU shored up their students, helped pay off some of the debt, paid off the fees, and other institutions got way more money than HBCUs. Everyone's gawking at the six and a half billion dollars HBCUs got. There are a lot of institutions that got more money um, than the HBCUs that you and I both know, but they chose not to use any of that more money to shore up the students that from disadvantaged backgrounds and were really struggling during this time period. And so I think when you look at the CNBC clips, when you look at Washington Post, New York Times, everyone that says how HBCUs were paying off these debts, you really cannot have a question about how HBCUs used the last six and a half billion dollars from Congress and the administrations. But one of the other things we've seen after George Floyd during this time of COVID was we saw a rise in um, private donations. And we've seen that rise in private donations skyrocket, particularly uh, Mackenzie Bezos by herself, a one-woman wrecking crew when it comes to supporting HBCUs. Where do we see that money going? Did it help close the historic funding gaps and private support for our HBCUs? I know that's something you all talked about. Yeah, it was a good start. Um, and, and you're right, Mackenzie Scott, she kind of really revolutionized. Oh, I'm sorry, Mackenzie Scott. I don't even know if she still goes by Bezos, but whatever. Yeah, yeah. I have to get it right. <laughs> yes, you do. Uh, but Mackenzie Scott, uh, she really um, was part of a small group of a billionaire philanthropists that changed um, the thought process about these institutions. And all it really takes is one or two. You look at her, you look at the couple that founded Netflix and what they've yes. done. Um, that was one hundred and twenty million dollars. And people talked about it like it was a pledge. What, what McKenzie Scott did, what the couple that found the Netflix did, those weren't pledges. When you saw those announcements, all of that money was already in the bank accounts of the institutions that they were giving it to. Um, so what has that money done? That money has shored up the endowments of those institutions. That money has made it so um, that more scholarships are going to students and real scholarships. I'm not talking about one or $2,000 scholarships. I'm talking about um, the kind of money that really starts to shore up an entire year. Um, it's, it's helping students that are in financial distress in a real way. Um, and so, but in addition to that, it's changing the minds of other philanthropists and mm -hmm. how they think about our institutions. Whereas you used to see the press release when an institution got $1 million from a corporation, et cetera, now that number is starting to tick up before you start to see the press release, before you start to see the co-branding. And, and that's essential because 
those same corporations many a time were giving a certain amount to historically black colleges and universities and a certain amount to PWIs and that amount being higher. Um, you need to invest where the need is if you want to make an impact. And I think that that mindset is finally starting to creep in. A little known investment happened at Lamone Owens. Um, one of their community um, institutions chose to match the same level that they saw the Netflix founders giving to Morehouse and Spelman and UNCF. Um, that tremendous amount they, can't, they received because they saw the press release from them. And so it's a steady continuation, but we're changing the hearts and minds of those that can most make an impact. I never even knew that happened. You know, recently I got to give a shout out to Voorhees College. They just announced on August 8th that a grant from the National Park Service, with that grant, they've been able to make upgrades uh, to Booker T. Washington, which brings me to my next question. We saw the uh, recovery programs go to immediate short-term needs, right? Um, but talk about the funding gaps for deferred maintenance and mm. capital improvement for so many of our schools, because I feel like we saw a lot of these press releases and what people are going to say is when they go on campus, the campuses still kind of look the same. Um, how do we address these long-term infrastructure needs? And are there federal, federal programs that can address these capital improvements on our campuses in particular? The number one thing we need to do is pass the HBCU's Ignite Excellence Act. Uh, so this is a bill that's focused completely on the infrastructure of historically black colleges and universities. That's so important because HBCUs did not make it in the last cut of the infrastructure bill. And so we have to have a targeted bill just for us. Um, you mentioned the National Park Service program. Um, I think that program's top grant is capped at half a million dollars. When you're refurbishing a building, um, half a million dollars doesn't go very far. We're well, grateful for what he's anyway, man. They, they needed that. They needed that 250, 300,000. They probably got some new lights in Booker T. Yeah, they yeah. They needed it. But what, what they really needed was a larger amount. <laughs> and and so we... we now, now you're starting to sound like my wife, okay? This is, this is, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> it's all good. Tell her, tell her we're, we're, uh, we're aligned. But um, it's so important that we have to keep up with the cost of things. Um, that cap, that $500,000 cap has been there for a long time. And, and if you get $500,000, then you have to wait two or three years before you get the next $500,000 from the National Park Service. You're grateful for it. But if you increase that cap and get a million at a time, one and a half million at a time, you're able to make more substantial improvements on the campuses. But the bill that Alma Adams has, um, the HBCU's Ignite Excellence Act, is the number one priority for these institutions right now because improvements on our campus are the next wave. We've worked hard to get rid of the debt that many of these institutions, 45 HBCUs had to the federal government, $1.7 billion in debt has gone away. Um, we're working hard to increase the Pell Grant to help the students that need the most help get access to education. Now facilities are the next wave and we have to focus in on that. And so that means that people who love HBCUs, love the culture, come to the homecomings, um, that enjoy the history, we all really need to pick up the phone, call our house rep, 
call our two senators and tell them to move the HBCUs Ignite Excellence Act, because if they don't do it, then are they really supporting our institutions? The time for verbal service is done. The time for action is now. So, that, I mean, I, I hear you that, and I do believe that that deferred maintenance is 1A, but would you agree that many of the cybersecurity and technologic, technological upgrades are probably you know, 1B, and with the recent rise of these you know, white domestic terror, uh, cybersecurity assaults we've seen on our HBCUs, what's the federal government's plan and UNCS plan to address both of these specifically as they relate to our HBCUs? So when I speak about infrastructure upgrades like that, I'm taking that one A and B together. I'm okay. not saying just build the building. I'm saying the whole infrastructure of the campus. So you mean water, you mean water, sewer, cyber, building, all of those things, roadways. Because you put it all together and, and then many of those items are controlled um, electronically. So it all goes back to the cyber. Everything goes back to the cyber. And so for the federal government perspective, that act would be the great improvement there. Um, what's UNCF doing? We've partnered with um, Robert Smith, billionaire, black billionaire, Robert Smith and his student freedom initiative. And we're helping out with the upgrades um, to help each of those institutions in terms of their technology and to shore them up against these type of cyber threats. Those cyber threats and the calls which have, have lessened but have not ended in terms of the threats to HBCUs that have been going on all year long, um, they are going neck and neck in terms of some of the biggest um, items that we have to worry about. Um, and I wonder, if those types of threats will ever stop um, until someone's actually brought to justice for them and that people who would make these types of threats on our institutions um, see a reason to stop because they see justice is at the end of the path. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA, I make calls, I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it, you can work out in it, you can go outside, you can go shopping down in your local wherever, and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. 
to find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by 7-Eleven. Cold slurpy drinks and a hot summer day are a match made in heaven and your favorite refreshment just got even better. Let's talk about 7-Eleven's $1 small slurpy drink with seven rewards. It's the classic frozen fizzy treat you can't get anywhere else. I'm a blue raspberry guy. Just know that about me. Know that about me going forward. Anytime there's a drink like this, I'm in on the blue raspberry. If you're feeling thirsty, feeling thirsty right now, how about going to visit a 7-Eleven valid through 1725? 7-Eleven has the right to end this promotion early, plus tax, participating U.S. stores. See app for full terms. All rights reserved. That makes, that makes good sense. Now, I know you're going to text me after this and be like, Bakari, why are you ask me this dumbass question? But um, I think it's necessary because we like to take people through. And sometimes in our conversations, uh, particularly as, uh, you know, my more liberal leanings, I take for granted um, my, my listeners and I have to stop doing that. But explain what endowments are and how institutions use them. Why HBCU endowments tend to be smaller than their PWI counterparts? And what can we do to help these endowments? Endowment is the financial underpinning of an institution. Uh, so an endowment is like your, your personal uh, savings and your retirement. It, it, it's what um, a bank will look at for you and decide if you're a good investment for whatever you want to do. And that's what an endowment represents for an institution. HBCU endowments tend to be smaller uh, because we have been underinvested in the entire time that we've existed. Um, and PWI endowments tend to be larger because not only do they have uh, grateful graduates like we do, but they tend to sometimes, because of family legacy, et cetera, um, have wealthy grateful graduates that give back and put a building in their name and a wing in their name. And so they're not just naming a building after someone because of what they've done historically. They're naming that building because somebody gave money. And um, that helps endowments. Why is that um, so necessary to improve for HBCUs? Um, because the financial underpinning and the interest that you get off your endowment um, showcases the strength of the institution, makes it better for you when you when you go get financing, and also makes it so that you can pay your bills way easier. What are the report's recommendations and how does the UNCF intend to address the federal ask in the report when we're looking at likely a Republican, and you've actually done really good work with this, maybe you could talk about this, but a Republican House um, and I, potentially a Senate, but I doubt it. What's the plan for UNCF as, it, as uh, the gavel changes hands in the fall and how do you implement your recommendations? So where HBCUs are, geographically in the southeast of the country in general. Um, they tend to be represented by um, re Republican members of the House sometimes and Republican senators. Um, but geographically, they're mostly in the South. Exactly. And, and so for that reason, we have really worked hard to perfect the art of bipartisanship or nonpartisanship, where we talk about these institutions in such a way that there's a bait on the line for whoever the listener is. And UNCF so- UNCF is not a democratic organization. UNCF is not a democratic organization. We, we, our bread and butter is, 
are these institutions. And so where whoever is elected is who we're going to work with because the needs of the students that we represent are so dramatic that we can't wait on the house member that we really like and the senator that we really like and the administration that we really like. We have to make the best of what we have. Um, and so, like I said, we try to put bait on the hook uh, for whoever is the listener. So for a Republican office, we want to talk about um, the economic impact of the institutions. And we want to show them um, what your area would lose if this institution were not there. Um, and then for other offices, you might talk about anecdotal evidence and showcase the, um, the success of the students. But it's different things for different offices, but you have to figure out to meet them where they are so that you can bring um, them where you need them to be. And that's, that's what we do really well. So one of the things that I didn't want to let you leave without talking about is chips, because mm -hmm. the president just signed chips into, uh, and by the way, that's a terrible name. I mean, I've been thinking they were talking about the children's health insurance program this whole time. But the reason they named it chips is because of microchips. Thank you to Jared for teaching me that. I was like, did we expand the, child, the Medi Medicaid children's health insurance program? Not, not, only, not only is that part of the bad branding, but so the name of the bill has changed like five times. It started out as America Competes, and then it was something called Yuseka. And then and the CHIPS bill was completely different. So what they did is they saw an opportunity to move the CHIPS bill through, and they took elements from the Competes bill um, and, and added it on and made it a bill that could pass, all the pieces that could pass. And there's some um, HBCU and higher ed pieces in there too. Well, let's talk about that because you know, we know there's $52 billion worth of incentives for us to make more semiconductor and microchips in the United States. Uh, the rest, though, is the science part. And we're talking about billions of dollars over five years in R&D. Uh, why is it important to enhance the research and development capacity of HBCUs? And what's the federal government's role around research and development for higher ed? Well, it's important because who else is going to look at the health disparities that are so pervasive? pervasive in the country. Um, if HBCUs don't get research infrastructure, don't get research funding, then that means that there won't be um, scientists raised up that want to look at why uh, the blood pressure rates are different between Blacks in, in the year 2022. Um, why is heart disease at a higher clip? Um, Basically, every disease, every form of cancer is higher in the African-American community. Um, we have to raise up our own scientists who are invested in getting the right outcome. And we have to do it on our campuses because that's where the students that are intrigued by these issues, they're tending to come from. Um, and your, 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 your alma mater is one of the top feeder schools. And, and, and that's without a tremendous amount of federal investment. But it's also the future, right? The, the American economy is moving in that direction. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, CHIPS was a long time coming and we, we mentioned some of the successes. How does CHIPS, I mean, specifically, what are some of the things in there that we'll see for these HBCUs? You'll see um, an authorization for 200, um, for $200 million dollars. Um, for HBCUs and other types of institutions um, in fiscal year 23, $250 million in research every year from 23 through 27. The problem there, though, Bakari, is that, um, and this is real Washington, um, the law says may instead of shall. And so 
the secretary or the head of the National Science Foundation may decide to split up the money so that HBCUs aren't competing against the University of Texas and the University of California at, um, or the head of the NSF may not. Um, shall is the word that we would have liked to have seen there because that shall is the really nice way of saying you will, you gotta do it. Um, and Congress chose not to put shall, they put may. And so now we're gonna have a heck of a time trying to convince the head of the NSF that you need to section this money off because trying to get Talladega to compete against the University of Texas is not a fight that I'm looking forward to seeing. I mean, we're gonna win it, but it ain't really a fight we wanna have. I'm not trying to fight it. <laughs> That's fair enough. That's fair enough. What else is on the on the horizon for the UNCF? What's going on in, with HBCUs we need to know about other than Morehouse versus Howard, uh, September 18th or 17th, one of those dates where I will be. Uh, tell me what else is going on and how can people support the UNCF? Man, first they can go online and they can donate. So you go to uncf.org and donate because we get that money to both the institutions and the students. Um, but what's on the next um, docket for us is, is big fundraising goals. Um, during this COVID season, we started off thinking that we we're gonna have some of the worst years we've ever had. And um, it's quite unfortunate that it took the murder of George Floyd and it took the murder of Breonna Taylor, but UNCF has had two of the biggest years we've ever had. And so that means more resources to students, more resources to institutions, but it also shows us that we can do this, that we can raise big goals. And so our CEO, Dr. Michael Lomax, is embarking on a big goal. Um, we are all here to support him and get more funding to these institutions, shore up their endowments, make sure that more students are getting scholarships and grants and not loans and making their futures brighter and, and proving the model that we say every day and that I try to make sure that we live as much as possible. Mine is a terrible thing to waste, but a wonderful thing to invest in. Rodriguez, I love you, brother, with all my heart. I'm so I love you too, man. I love, I love your family. I, I love seeing them in the background today. Yeah, they, they wanted to join because they heard Rodriguez was going to be on the show. So they knew and, I had and, and we And we've got to make sure that UNCF is raising plenty of money because um, they've got to be some of our scholars. They've got to get those scholarships oh, yeah. that we got coming up. You know, I'll give them the same uh, option my daddy gave me. I will pay for them to go to any school they want to go to in the country as long as it's an HBCU. Well, man. Hey, Bakari, I love you. And I'm, I'm always glad to talk to you. And I, I really appreciate all the time we've been able to spend together uh, all the way back. Uh, it's over 20 years now, man. Over 20 years. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And we long. won't talk about any stories. No back. No. no. All right. Cut. <laughs> uh, make sure we get a make sure we get a copy of it so we can attach the link on everything we put out. Yeah.